My name's Kendra Houseman from Out of the Shadows, and you're about to listen to a series of interviews that took place over nine months. I want to know what life would be like for a child that had been through domestic abuse, parental mental health, poverty, and exploitation, to name a few. What would happen if we created a team, an army almost, to support that child? 28 people were interviewed, all with the same question in mind. What could have been different for child B? You're about to listen to Blondie's People. So follow us on our journey where I will speak to everyone from George the Poet to some of my good friends as we discover what it takes to become one of Blondie's people. Within these episodes, you will find answers, you will find guidance, and most of all, you will find an insight to a world that many do not know. There's a trigger warning for some of these episodes, and some of them are not child-friendly. We're going to talk about things that are very, very raw and real. So kick back and get ready for a journey, a journey you will not forget. Welcome to Blondie's People. Welcome to episode 11 of Blondie's People. We're going to speak to Steve Warner. Uh, Steve, um, well, he is probably the teacher that would have helped child B stay in education. Steve has an understanding around exploitation, gangs, youth violence that many schools don't have. And he wrote um, the most epic piece, Beyond the Gate, which looks at exactly that. So sit back, relax, and listen to the words of Steve and how we can make changes for our young people within schools. My name's Kendra Houseman from Out of the Shadows, and I'm interviewing people that um, I both admire now and could have helped me when I was younger, but we'll get into that, uh, for Blondie's people. So the first question I ask everyone is, who are you and what do you do? Yeah. Hi, Kendra. Thanks so much for, uh, for having me. My name is Steve Warner. I'm a deputy head in a large secondary school in Luton. Um, I've also spent a lot of time working with young people in my previous school. Um, a lot of students, young people coming out of uh, North London, Enfield, Haringey, um, those, those urban areas, if you like, as well. The reason I chose to speak to you is for two reasons. One, I have followed you for a while on Twitter and I've seen the stuff that you've done. But another reason I want you to be part of this is, if you had been involved in education when I, Blondie, was younger, I think that education would have been different for me because your approach to gang culture is very different to other people. Do you agree? Um, yes, in, in your minute, I say other people, I don't think there's many in education that are actually doing much about it. Um, so in many ways, I've sort of stumbled into a little bit of a niche, if you like. Um, I'm sure there's many other approaches, but what, what we've developed um, through the work that we've done is an approach that worked with our pupils within the, con the local context of, uh, of where, where I was working. Some schools that I've worked with don't do a lot. My school that I work with now, my head teacher is more than proactive and I lead on that, on that gang intervention. So working with, so talking to you is always talking to somebody of my own heartbeat because you feel the same way. Um, you talk about raising uh, awareness around gangs in schools. So in your school or wherever you're doing that, talk to me. What does that look like? How are you doing that? We've developed um, an approach um, called Beyond the Gate. Um, and, and, and effectively, this is about raising the issues within a school environment um, around uh, county lines, youth violence, CSE, um, CCE. And um, it takes as its, its starting point um, the premise that all young people 
now need to be considered at risk. Um, every young person is potentially a victim. And there's some out there that could well be at risk of becoming uh, perpetrators as well. So the work that we've been doing, um, I see very much as a duty of care, really, in terms of educating young people um, to make positive choices and ultimately keep themselves and others safe. Um, we're very clear um, from the outset of the work that this is a society problem. Um, yeah. And it's not a school problem. Um, and certainly that's one of the big barriers that anyone in education has to overcome. Um, hence why the, the area or the work is, is entitled Beyond the Gate, because actually this reflects and it's about school supporting what's happening out there in the community. What we tend to find is often those, um, particularly those involved, those perpetrators, actually, when they're in school, they don't need me breathing down their neck. They don't need me uh, drawing, don't need to draw themselves to my attention. Effectively, they come in, they keep their head down, they've got bigger fish to fry Absolutely. out there in the community. And ultimately, actually for them, school is a safe place. Because we also, there's the flip side, a lot of those who are involved um, could be under duress as well. Obviously, could be experiencing traumas and what have you. And, and uh, so often, actually, school is it's that sanctuary. And it's, 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 that, it's that safety. Um, and so this is very much why the work is entitled Beyond the Gate. And I think really the approach is sort of two, twofold, if you like. I would argue for the first round, the first area of work, I would argue there's a huge vacuum of knowledge in terms of those that are working with young people in schools. Um, certainly when I was training, albeit 20 odd years ago, um, any component around youth violence, anything to do with this. It wasn't on the radar. And I'd actually go as far as three, four, five years ago, it wasn't on the radar. It's starting to creep on the radar now in terms of statutory safeguarding. But to be honest with you, it might be one slide, two slides in a 60 slide, in a 60 slide presentation. So it's very much just a, a passing reference. So the first sort of strand needs to be in, um, ensuring that those who are working in schools are fully equipped with the knowledge and the understanding. I'll come on to a little bit in a minute about how that might be used. And I suppose the second strand is as well, actually empowering young people to make those positive choices, making sure that they've got relevant information um, that keeps them safe and those around them safe. I mean, they, the premise is, 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 is simple. In school, we see our students 35 plus hours a week. We know our students as individuals. We know their families. We know their backgrounds. We know their peers. We know their influences. We know the communities that we serve. What other organisation has access and has that level of access? It's true. So I would argue that schools are the early identification. So that's about making sure that staff are aware of risk factors, aware of indicators, and they can spot them. And that's picking up um, risk factors such as um, ACE exposure, um, gaps in attendance, exclusion patterns, looking at those students that may be SN or particularly vulnerable, those that um, come from broken families or perhaps paternal deficit. 
So it's about looking at those, those factors at heightened vulnerability. And it's also about identifying um, indicators, you know, looking out for signs of trauma, unexplained absences, um, that instant gratification, suddenly coming in with the new trainers, the Gucci bag or whatever. Um, also looking at some of the cyber softer indicators, such as um, those people that might often be so marginalised within the school community, haven't got that sense of belonging. Um, and we know that obviously, you know, people know far more about this than I do, know that actually sometimes that, that void is filled out there. Yep. Particularly by, by gangs and affiliations out there in the community. Um, so where I'm coming from, we get that early identification. The next stage, having identified, what do we then do? What do we do, Dave? And what we've developed in... Through, through, the, through the Beyond the Gate, it's very much a um, holistic package. Yeah. Um, and when I say package, I mean response. Um, we tend to target um, three sort of groups. And the, fir the first group, I would say, is our, what we call universal, the whole school. Because don't forget, everybody is at risk here. Um, and the starting point for that is very much looking at your school climate and your school culture and making it okay, making it okay to talk about these issues, making it okay to share your fears. Um, it's because in many, many schools, these issues, gangs, knives, youth violence, CSE, they're taboo. It's hidden. They're completely taboo. So young people don't, it's completely hidden. There's not only the lack of understanding, but equally, there's no one, there's no one that's there to listen, and the pupils in those schools, they've got nowhere to go. No. So to me, it's about a cultural shift, and a cultural change and that that needs to be universal across the school also within that excuse me that universal approach it's about looking at opportunities to raise awareness and by that i mean you know there is the the assemblies the ex-offenders the the um the victims family members and what have you um those what i would call high impact yes do yeah. they embed change? I would argue no. I'd almost say here today, gone tomorrow. And that's no disrespect to anybody mm -hmm. um, that, that comes into schools to deliver those, those, those presentations. To me, they need to be part of a holistic package. They are key, but they are part of a bigger package. If it was that simple of a, an hour presentation yeah. to cure all this, we wouldn't be where we are now. No, I agree. Um, so it's about raising that awareness. And it's about... It's about school looking at um, monitoring. I think it's a phrase we sometimes use is disclosure through behaviour. Okay. And that's about looking at patterns of behaviour. It's about looking at patterns of uh, attendance. And again, that's whole school. Looking for those early signs. Key as well, aspiration. Absolutely. Aspiration and engaging young people in school. Because actually, if you can give them aspiration... You can give them hope. You yeah. can give them a curriculum they can access. To me, that is fundamental. And along with that as well, it's about working in partnership. Um, work done a lot of work with Alison Cope um, from from the Midlands, who tragically lost her her son Joshua um, four, five, six years ago now. And she uses the phrase "really important." Everybody stays in their lane, and I quite agree. Yeah. My lane is education, and I can educate, 
I can build positive relationships. I can do some of what I've said, but I'm no expert. So actually, it's about working collaboratively. We hear that phrase multi-agency, but actually it's key. It's about working with other agencies. Um, and to me, the starting point for that is the police. Actually, we got to the point where we see the police not as a bolt-on, not as a body, as individuals that come when it's gone wrong. They come in, they work with us. The police are passing, they come in, they have a cup of coffee, they come down to the canteen, they talk with the students, they engage. Good old-fashioned, what might be proactive, yeah. proactive policing. Um, you know, we were, prior to our development, our, our relationship with the pre police in, in a school, we get an awful lot of, we hear a lot of chat. You could call it intel, could call it chat, who knows. But I was filtering that. I was filtering that because of every time I heard a little bit of chat, I got on the phone, dialed 101 and said, by the yeah, way, I've yeah. heard this. To be honest with you, it doesn't work like that. I'm going to call up the switchboard and, uh, in, 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 well, in the police aren't going to act on, if you like, hunch. But what we were able to do is actually, by sharing this intel on a regular basis, the police actually were then able to filter as part of bigger picture as well. And the way the students saw the police completely changed. And they started to get to know our community police office by, by, the, by their, their, their Christian names. The police started to work with us proactively. Started to do things like um, bike marking, for example. Delivering positive messages about what was going on in the community. As well as reassuring as well. So our sort of graduated response, the first part was that, that universal response. That hit everybody. Like, um... what we also... Contextual safeguarding, it's, it's, it's implementing that contextual safeguarding that's needed, yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. And then what we then do, we do another group of students, slightly more targeted. And these were those students who perhaps, given the risk factors or, or the, um, the indicators that they, they were displaying, we thought, you know what, these guys could be, could be at risk. They may not be involved yet, but they could be at risk either enhanced risk of becoming a victim or enhanced risk of becoming perpetrator and i use those terms loosely because I, i'm well aware that actually a lot of the people that get drawn in are victims as well i suppose i'm talking about it in terms of at the moment we use the phrase criminality yeah um, or drawn into criminality um but these targeted groups and that and, and that was um predominantly sort of group interventions looking at aspects um such as sort of drug awareness um looking at aspects such as sort of healthy positive relationships um work around aspirations and that was more to say it was targeted whereas a lot of the other awareness could be delivered within the context of a school within yeah. a lesson within pshc within assemblies this was more taking small groups of students and working with them often on a on a specific activity um, or area, if you like. Um, we also offered a number of diversionary activities as well. Um, you know, we, we, it's well documented that for a lot of young people, the most vulnerable time is after school, sort of between three and three and five or three and six. So what we started to do um, was offer a range of activities that would engage that, 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 that our students were telling us they wanted, and so actually engaging and, and then keeping that, them at school to give them an outlet, give them a focus. Um, you know, we see things like sort of box, a lot of sports-based, but boxing, basketball, those sorts of activities as, as, as well. And then for those who 
were at high risk. And this was predominantly those that were involved in um, fundamentally gang-related activity. Um, and given the geography of where we were, there were some uh, people, uh, students, who were involved in that. Um, and that was both by their own admission and also other areas of intel and parental um, admission and, and what have you. And what we offered them, we, we were fortunate enough to work with a spe oh, this involves specialist, well, a specialist intervention. We were lucky enough to work with the St. Giles Trust and developed a program called Aspire Beyond, which is effectively long-term mentoring. And again, if we are going to change patterns of behavior with, with young people, it cannot be short fix, six weeks, bit of mentoring, cheerio, I'm off. Um, often, you know, again, we know that that just reflects what a lot of young people are actually experiencing in the home, in the community, and what have you. Where people are there, they build up those relationships, then it's gone. It's that what then drives them for that sense of belonging. So the specialist, the mentoring has to be long term. Now I'm talking two, three, three years. Um, and that was based around sort of four, four strands. Providing students with specialist and relevant information so they were fully informed. It was about building their resilience. And part of that resilience was about you know, encouraging them to say no. And as well as developing the counter narrative, you know, all over the media, the social media, um, pupils absolutely bombarded with this imagery, yeah. these messages. And it, it's about saying, well, actually, do you know what? It's not quite what it seems. Um, and picking up on the aspiration theme, it was about providing positive career exposure as well. You know, taking some of these, um, these young people, uh, for, exa for example, we, we, we took a load of them down to Credit Suisse in London. Never been in an office, never been exposed to that sort of environment at all. And um, I'm not saying it changed them overnight, but you know what? For some of them, 18 months after that visit, they were still talking about it. And they wanted a career in business. They wanted to get into business now. They wanted to break away from the, the norm. And the norm in many of these communities was actually hanging on, the, hanging on the street corner dealing. So that was sort of, that's beyond the game. In, in, in a nutshell, that is, that is the response that, that, that we developed. Now, for us, in our context, it worked. I would argue that that model can be picked up, tweaked to other contexts in other parts of the country, other urban areas, rural areas, those on the fringe. Um, but this is, my, this is my passion. I believe schools need to be addressing this. Schools need to be doing much, much, much more. I've, I'm lucky. My school is, we, we deal with it head on. We don't hide from anything. And we're not ashamed to stand up and say that if there is a gang or exploitation going on, we'll talk about it. What do you think the fear is for schools? Why are they saying no gang problem here? Why do you think they're saying that? I think it's very much of a taboo. I'll come back to that, that, void of inf that void of understanding. I think if you, if, you feel by, if you go by, for example, what is put out there in the media, unless someone's 
running around wielding a knife yep. and got a bandana over their head, they're not involved in a gang. Um, but actually, it's about stripping it back and it's looking for those early indicators that, you know what, in this community, these students are at risk. Yep. And it's about looking for those early, early triggers. We started to see um, a spike in youth on youth violence, for example. Mm. Um, and you know, part of that was the, if you like, the early, the early phases of the, of the initiation. What we were seeing was, um, in our context, was yeah. the gangs coming, coming out of, out of traditional areas, perhaps middle of Tottenham Harringay, and working their way slightly out to some of the more, what you might call the easy pickings of the fringe. Um, at the time, I didn't understand why is this happening, but actually with the understanding now and, and, and peeling it back, you can start to see um, those early indicators, if you like. So I think, so I suppose the first point is some, a lot of schools don't understand, don't see those early indications, slap them in the face, serious, you know, there was, say, stabbing or what have you. Um, I think, I think as well, there's also that, that fear of that sort of taboo. It, it, it's taboo. No, if a school is going to tackle this issue, yep. what is that saying about your community? Do, do you think... To me, it says, do you know what? We are, to me, it says we are realistic about the world today. We are realistic about the world in which young people are entering. And do you know what? We are preparing our students for that world and to make those positive choices and to keep themselves safe but i think all too often it's flipped and it's oh that school's addressing down that addressing yeah. that issue they must have a problem i agree and i and, and 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 to me that's the crux of the matter and we broke down that by working use that word collaboration again we when we started beyond the gate we didn't go out as a school and write to our parents and saying this is what we are doing because we actually worked with the local council we worked with the police we worked with other local schools and it was actually the council that wrote to our community our school community and wrote to other school communities and it was in response to what is happening in the community schools are now doing this 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 and this so immediately we're able to peel back that immediate association between schools doing this they must have a problem so we're able to sort of flip it around if you like what so you... I, I i would say that they're the two barriers to to schools doing this the lack of understanding of the issues and also fearful of that that association because let's face it no school wants to label the school with a gang problem no do you think the government could be doing more to help schools overcome this? Is there more that the government can do to help schools not have that stigma or have that feeling of shame? Absolutely. Um, I think it needs to be ramped um, within the statutory guidance that schools um, need to follow. Yes. Um, and because that way, it's, all, it, it's something that we... You know, as, as, as a school, we are now obliged to, whether we like it or not, we are obliged to tackle this with our, with our young students, just like with our young people, just like we are 
101 other issues out there. Um, so I would, I would certainly ramp up the statutory guidance. Absolutely. I, agree. And I would also build it in significantly higher profile to the safeguarding in statutory safeguarding that all of us that work with, uh, with young people have, have to have to go through. Um, and I'd also actually drop it right back down into teacher training. I agree. Um, and, and I can, I can, I come back to my, my original point that when I started out in teaching, albeit a while back, the, this was never addressed. And it's still, as far as I'm aware, not addressed in teacher training. But this is relevant. This is live. This is relevant. This is happening today. And all comes back to that knowledge, that knowledge, that information, that understanding. And until we crack that in education, it's going to be a battle. And we can crack it. We need to get the DfE on board, we need to get government board, we need to make it a lot more statutory, start working with some of the, uh, the training institutions as, as well. And let, let's get that, uh, let's raise that bar, it's that sort of threshold of knowledge, if you like. I like that. And that's know, what needs to be raised up. It, it, it sounds so uh, like obvious. It's like, obviously it should be part of our guidance, obviously, and it's just not happening. And until then, there's individuals like us are out there fighting it. We need everyone to be on board. I, 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 would, I would agree. I think, you know, and then in fairness, there's, there's some schools I've worked with um, that are tackling this head on. Um, but the vast majority, I think, are choosing not to. And there's increasing number of councils that, um, that again, work with and had communication with who and try to engage schools and are actually feel like they're banging their head against the wall because the schools won't let them in yeah um and you know they, they, they try to sort of if you like work with myself as a as someone that's actually within a school schools can be quite insular they can be really insular places um and actually you can get someone that's actually currently within a school or within education in some cases that's helped break down a few barriers and um and perhaps given some schools some reassurance as well as some practical um, advice based on, on the work that we've done or you know, I've, I've been leading on. Um, actually, do you know what? This does work. Yeah. And I stand by it. Beyond the gates, that approach works. I agree. It's not going to cure it. No. It works. If, you, if you watch the news and stuff now, there's, enough, there's no talk at the moment about county lines or exploitation. It's like it's disappeared. Let me ask you a question. Yep. I ask a few people this question. Do you think that county lines is like decreased or something during lockdown? Are the drug dealers like doing social distancing and taking it serious or what? <laughs> <laughs> Interesting one. Short answer is I'm unsure. Um, you know, I've, during lockdown, I'll be honest with you, I've not had much con or very limited face-to-face -to -face contact with, with our students. We've also got our safeguarding responsibilities that we fulfill. And in many ways, I've been living in my own little bubble, working predominantly remotely from home. Yeah. Um, I would imagine that the initial restrictions might well um, have put a little bit of a dampness, shall we say, on perhaps some of the county line activity. Um, I might be wrong. What I would expect to see, now these restrictions are um, being lifted, is an increase. Um, I think I think young people being out of school um, is going to increase activity because the one thing we know 
about young people, they like routine. We all like routine. And actually, um, with, these, with these young people, with, with these pupils, these students being out of school, um, that routine has, is very much broken down. They haven't got that place of sanctuary um, that school often provides. It actually does keep them safe. Between the hours of half eight and half three, those okay. students are in an environment where actually they're safe. They haven't got that anymore. No. Um, so you throw in the fact that that safe, safe haven's been taken away. We've had that loss of routine. For some of these, some people, some students, sad to say, but actually being at home has been traumatic. Yes. Um, and the impact on their, on their mental health as well. Um, and then throw into the fact that the adverse economic pressures, unemployment, furlonging of families and what have you, income, money could be stretched. Um, like I say, I don't confess to be an expert, but I would expect to see county line activity certainly on the increase. Well, the people that I'm I hope it doesn't. To, they're agreeing with you. So you saying that, I'm talking to people from all over different areas and everyone has agreed. We've all agreed that in the next few weeks, mm. we're going to see a spike in, in youth violence and in county lines, that kind of activity. Because people, they've got, people have got debts to pay. There's young people out now accumulating debts because they can't earn money. And that's the reality. Absolutely. Absolutely. Agreed. I always ask everyone this question, so let's see what you answer. Have you learned anything about yourself or other people during lockdown? <laughs> I'll pick up on the point I raised just now. We're all creatures of habit. Yep. Um, we are, I'd say, all incredibly resilient um, in terms of how we adapt. I'm not necessarily saying we all adapt positively. But in terms of taking change and adapting to that change, um, and then within that change, getting those those habits and becoming those creatures of habit, um, and certainly I'm I fit into that mould. Yes. Um, I've been I've been lucky in that I, I I've adapted and I'm actually quite enjoying remote working, um, and then I'm quite happy with the routines and the habits that I've got into. Um, that having been said. Yeah, that can't be assumed. It's been it's been the same for everybody. No. Um, and in, in terms of what else I've learned, I've learned unfortunate. You know, I've been able to do, and we effectively live in isolation with my wife and my, my family. Um, so it's really made you just appreciate how lucky you are to have those bonds. Yeah. Um, and again, not everyone's got that. So I suppose. So um, go on. Go on. No, no, I, I just suppose it, you know, it, it's, it's that time for reflection and does actually make you appreciate many of those things that you've had. You know, we all take take for granted and just the silly things about meet, meeting up a mate for, for a beer and just having a chat about anything. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's, it's been a time of reflection. I think the thing I'm most grateful about is that my house is a safe place. Like there has been times throughout my life that home was not safe for me. And the fact that my house is safe for me and my, and my daughter is the thing I'm most grateful for because there was a time that wouldn't have been the case. So I'm glad that you're sort of saying the same thing, that your house is a safe Absolutely. place. 
Yeah, and um, and and I think as 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 a school leader, a pastoral leader in the school, um, one of the things that you know, we've got to be really mindful of is the experience that I've had, my family had, and actually a lot of my colleagues have had. We can assume that those those students um, have had that same experience at home. You know, and some of them are going to be suffering bereavement. Some of them are going to have heightened anxiety. Um, you know, some of them are going to be completely thrown by the, that lack of routine. Yeah. Um, and it's, so certainly when we come out of this, actually, to me, it's, it's the, mental, the mental health and the mental well-being needs to be a key. And, and that, that, that's every student. And then, of course, there's, there's others that actually possibly have become more vulnerable, more at risk, and have been um, come back to that phrase, yes. victims slash perpetrators um, have been brought into, shall we say, um, certain activities that, that puts them at risk. I think you're completely right. And so certainly when we, when we return... Go on. No, certainly when we return, I think the focus needs to be on um, the emotional, mental well-being yeah. ahead of the academia. Because at the moment, there's all this talk about lost learning and uh, students losing out and getting lost and getting behind and what have you. I understand that. But equally, we've got, to, we've got to keep it in context as well. They've got to be in the right state of mind to actually learn before we can start rebuilding and, and, and catching up on that, on that time. And again, I believe that actually they will catch up. They will. Your, your, your outlook on, on education as a whole, this is exactly why you're here, because you're always looking for the positives in every young person that you work with. And I know that if I had worked with you as a young person, that I would have probably stayed in school because you would have given me that opportunity. Does that make sense? Uh, um, well, thank you for that. But actually, I, my outlook now is a product of the young people I've been lucky enough to work with. And, um, you know, you learn. That's one of the great things about working with young people. Um, see what, often see the world very different to you, but actually you yeah. can learn so much from them. And um, I've my out, my outlook and how I how I work part of that has has become you know, a bit older, a bit wiser, if you like. Um, part of that, I think, as well, is obviously as you you have your own family and kids, um, and your understanding changes as well. But fundamentally, you know, I've been teaching twenty years now, and I've worked generally in in fairly challenging um, environments. Um, they've been fantastic environments and the pupils, the students have been absolutely brilliant, but they've tested in, 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 I suppose my own resilience has been tested at times. Um, but you've got to be out, you can't, you know, you can't, we can't give up hope. And, and, and particularly a lot of these young people who are vulnerable, they're vulnerable because they haven't got hope, because people are giving up on them, because they haven't got that positive role model. Because they've gone, they, there's no one there with that sort of can do, you can do it, that belief. Um, and that's very much shaped my starting point, if you like, in, in the work that I do. Um, in, there's plenty out there in education that's um, the same philosophy, and there's plenty others that don't find more effective than I do. Um, but from a personal viewpoint, yeah, bang, that's, that's my starting point. And that's why you're here. I'm so glad you let me interview you and um, hopefully I can share this with everyone. And thank you. Thank you for letting me interview you.